Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Time all game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Good afternoon, everybody. I am joined here with Chris Persiain and Nick Feta for another edition of Pick and Pod. This week, we kind of have an eye into how things are working out in the NBA. We got the Knicks doing pretty well, the Nets doing not so well. More importantly, the Lakers aren't doing too well. But first, let me get to you guys. Chris, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Done with class for the week, so that's always a plus. Um, lots of basketball ahead this weekend. I know the Knicks on the road in Milwaukee tonight, so that should be fun, uh, which it, it, it always is when you got to play against Giannis. So, you know, I'm just excited to see how the games go this weekend. Excited for uh, Halloween, I suppose. You know, a little bit of a seasonal picking pod here well it is spooky season i love it and nick feta how are we doing i'm fantastic friday baby uh weekends here talking hoops what's better than that nothing much um so let's get right into it we have a lakers team who is winless i believe this is the first time in lebron's career where he started zero and four and you know that just says a lot because they thought that this team would come in here this season try and get russell westbrook to buy into the system and you know adjust to what they're going to play like for the rest of the season, but it hasn't been too good. 0-4, like I said, um, you know, there's something to be said here. We see in the NBA, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, these old names that are so good in the past few seasons, and now they're starting to deteriorate. They're starting to break down. They're not as proficient as they were once before, but you look at LeBron James and his individual stats, I mean, 25 points, leading the team in rebounds with 10 leading the team in assists with seven. I mean, he's still doing it. He's out here, you know, 37 years old, year 20. Greatness. What's what's to make of this 0-4 Lakers team that many people did not expect to start like this? Yeah, the Lakers, in my opinion, it's, it's very simple. They're just not that good of a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have, yes, LeBron is still LeBron. I don't think that's a secret. He's beat father time year in, year out. No one can question that. Uh, it's not really on him. There's only so much one guy can do. His numbers are there. It's still early. Who knows? Maybe they can make some sort of push. It's hard to make judgments uh, off of just four games, but also it's not too hard when the Lakers, they're also the only team in the league who hasn't covered a spread, uh, which means they're just not doing even close to what they're supposed to uh, in terms of competing. Anthony Davis has been solid. You know, I think uh, him, he's averaging 24 points in the first four games, nine and a half boards. If he stays healthy, there's a chance uh, that they kind of do something, but then the real question mark is Russell Westbrook. You know, you expect that there's a big three. It's not a big three. Again, no secret. They had that one year, rocky with injuries. You don't really know where they were going to go. They come out this year, it's it's slow is a nice word to use. It's been abysmal, these guys. Yeah, Los Angeles is just a case of names not being enough on their own. Um, you know, Nick, I hate to start off pushing back on you here, but I don't even think Anthony Davis has been all right. I think he's been terrible. Now, you look at the stat sheet, it doesn't look too awful. 24 points a game on 53% shooting. But you got to remember, this guy's seven feet tall. He's a big man. That field goal percentage should be up there. Yeah. If you take a look at his jump shots, 
saw this analytic this morning. He's shooting 16.7% on two-point jump shots or three-point jump shots, just jump shots. He's shooting just under 17%. Take a look at the three-point numbers. He's shooting 18%. So, yes, he's grabbing almost 10 rebounds a game. Yes, he's getting almost three steals a game. He's averaging right now five steals plus blocks per game, which is like legitimately a historic rate. And it doesn't matter because guys three through 10 in this rotation are barely NBA players and guys one and two uh, today. I don't think LeBron James is a top eight to 10 player in the league. I I could give you eight to 10 names right now that today are going to play better basketball than LeBron James. Anthony Davis, I'll give you 20 right now players I'd rather have today. So Look over in Brooklyn, right? I eviscerated them before the season for not having point of attack defense, for not having perimeter defense, for not having rebounding, for not having literally anything that just championship caliber teams have other than superstar names, right? You look at the rest of that roster, at least they have some semblance of effort towards guys who can rebound the ball. Ben and Claxton, neither that good, but existent. The Lakers are running out like last chance you over there yeah. with, with literal guys that are about to be out of the league. Like They're getting ready to be out of the NBA because they're not good enough to be in it anymore. There are only 400 jerseys. You have to be a really good basketball player to be in the league. And the Lakers are like, hey, everyone that's on the fringe of that, come take our money because we need you. Uh, that's where they're at right now. LeBron James has decimated the assets of teams that he goes to every single time. He does it and leaves. He leaves them a pile of junk they have no trade assets they have no young players they have no picks they have no cap flexibility it's happening in front of our eyes again he delivered them the ring in 2020 now the payback is here what they did to accomplish winning that ring trading everything they had for anthony davis they're let's get it's biting them back right now this season is not going up there's literally like the lakers are what they're zero and four I don't think this team can play better. I think they literally can only go down from here. They trade <laughs> Russell Westbrook to anywhere and literally sign someone off the street like they did last season with the Darren Collison. Like, like maybe they'd be a tinge better. Another non-NBA player in the rotation is really going to be. I don't know what this Lakers team can, team can do. You can identify as many trade candidates as you'd like, but the fact of the matter is that their two first-round picks weren't enough to land them Bojan Bogdanovich, yeah. right? So what are we doing here? This team stinks, and they're going to stink for this entire year. They get the coverage they do because they're from L.A., because they have LeBron James on the roster. But for NBA fan purposes, if you're a league pass person, this team should not be atop your list just because of the, the, the players on the team. I mean, a team like Sacramento stinks, and they're going to be better than the Lakers this year. They're going to be more fun to watch. If you yeah. want a West Coast team, you want a Cali team, go watch the Kings. Go watch the Kings. Go watch the Clippers. Anybody else besides the Lakers right now? Speaking of teams that absolutely stink, we can refer to the Brooklyn Nets, who are now 1-4 after their loss to the Mavericks last night in OT, 129-125. Quite a thriller. I was there reporting on behalf of WFUV. Crowd was shaken. Got to give it to them. The Barclays Center is alive right now. These fans, it was at full capacity. A lot of excitement. Were they giving out jerseys at the entrance or something? I don't think so. I think the main draw, honestly, from what I saw in the crowd was Luka. I mean, there were so many 77 Mavericks jerseys out there. And in warm-ups on the court, there was just fans screaming for Luka. There's no fans screaming for KD and Kyrie. like the entire populations of Spain and Slovenia there? Because that that happens at the Garden. I'm not going to lie. Like, Jokic comes to town. There are more... Serbian Nuggets fans in the crowd than new native New York. The Nick foreigners like, bring people out. It's <laughs> awesome. It's amazing. It's, it's like it shows you how worldwide it is. A worldwide is. That's I actually find that very it's, cool. It's fantastic. So I, I, I do appreciate that, Will. Will, if if you kind of look 
with this Nets, and I, I'll, I'll give you a question here. Where do they go outside of – because Ben Simmons is a joke thus far in the season. I believe he has through, – through the first four games, I'm not sure about last night, he had 21 points and 18 fouls through the first four games of the Nets season. Where do you go? I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at their roster, and they're, they have a better team. If you want to compare them to the Lakers, their team is much better on paper. Uh, names they have, but no one really besides KD and Kyrie is is, is contributing uh, basically at all. You got a couple guys. Nick Claxton is averaging 11. No one else. Uh, David Duke, David Duke Jr., a guy who they basically picked off off the street last year, averaging 10. KD and Kyrie are doing their parts offensively. What's missing from the rest of these guys based off what you've seen? Well, you put it like that. The fact that KD and Kyrie, these are the number one guys, you can't really expect too much to be happening around them in terms of scoring. And to your point that Ben Simmons has just been a tragic pickup over the season or over last year and finally playing now, I think there's something to be said that he is not there in order to score points. He's there for his defensive presence, his IQ to pass the ball, and you kind of see it. You see it in glimpses, in pockets. That's what Steve Nash was saying last night. You see in pockets that this team can really compete and work with a, in a cohesive unit with Simmons. Last night you saw one of the biggest plays of the game was a steal and then assist by him on the other end to KD in the closing seconds. And that was able to tie up the game and send them to OT. So he's doing his part. He's giving his six fouls and giving his fair amount of assists. But I mean, at the end of the day, this is Ben Simmons. We all know who Ben Simmons is. He's a guy that's not going to lead your franchise and be be the guy that you need to score or rely on for, for a bucket. He's a guy that can distribute and, like I said, play defense. So him developing into this role-playing kind of role is going to be very long. It's going to be gradual. But for now, I think that what he is offering will be assessed by Steve Nash, and he has to you know, pinpoint where exactly he can play Simmons in the game in order for him to be effective. Last night, KD and Kyrie combined for 76. I'm saying that the Nets are not a bad team. The thing is, they just don't play better than the teams that they're playing against. I mean, sometimes they outplay themselves too. Sounds like a bad team to me. <laughs> well, the, the, you, we said, we saw the roster. It's a good roster on paper. I mean, Kyrie putting up 39 last night, it's it's something to be said about that. KD like with 37. Right, but where are the stats for how they allowed the Dallas Mavericks yeah, to shoot 43-pointers and make 50%, 50 of them? Right, I know. That's nuts, right? So, so you can look into advanced analytics, but you could just skip all of that and be like, flat out just state the fact that what Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant bring to a team on offense does not make up for what they lapse on defense unless the team has made – like advanced preparations for there to be some sort of stud rim protector. Mm -hmm. There's a guy in the NBA right now. I don't know if the Nets even know he plays in the league. Mm -hmm. he, he has this big, awesome, famous haircut, and he plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers. His name is Jared <laughs> Allen. Oh, that guy. He's a really good <laughs> right. rim protector, mm. <laughs> and he's actually a lead at it, at rebounding, at everything the Nets need. He's actually He would be a perfect fit on this Brooklyn team right now. I don't right. know what it would take to acquire him in a trade, but if Brooklyn ever had the opportunity to have Jared Allen on their team, it would go really well for them, I think. And they should never, ever let him go, ever. Especially not for someone who <laughs> is dribbling more than the rest of the 76ers roster combined. I mean, like, listen, we were told about scary hours. There were six total scary hours. If you take the time that KD, Kyrie, and Harden spent on the court, add it up, it was six hours in total. There were six scary hours. This Brooklyn team, time and time again, is all bark and no bite. They out- 
rebounded the Dallas Mavericks last night. I always get at the Brooklyn Nets for not being able to rebound the ball. The Mavericks have Christian Wood out there trying to get rebounds. He's, you know, it looks like Porzingis yep. back when they had him, just tall guy that just doesn't have the the toughness to go get those boards, do the dirty work. Claxton actually out-rebounded them. He, they did really well last night. Claxton with six boards, Simmons with eight. And yet the Dallas Mavericks won and and, and not by any sort of like – yeah, I, I, it was well, a little bit of a nail biter, have, but it was have, overtime. I, I just think like this Nets team. There's nothing statistically, unless you want to look at on-off ratings or whatever. But like, we're not here to do that. That will show you what the true context behind their offensive numbers are. Because no matter what the offensive numbers are, it has never been enough. Not when they had James Harden. Not before they had James Harden. Not after they had James Harden. A H D, you know, during Harden and A, you know, whatever, whatever eras you want to talk about, the offense has never once been good enough to get them past a significant playoff series and have them be a sustainably built contender. This team is always just teetering on the edge of plummeting. And we almost saw it this summer. No one wanted to come trade for KD at the price they set. So mm-hmm. they magically had this meeting and everything was fixed and everyone's friends again. And like, no, like this team isn't good. There's not a lot of pathways to making it better unless they switch things up quick. Now they have the picks from the Simmons trade. They tried using them last year. Go get something done. The more they sit around with this roster acting like they're just going to magically like, oh, everyone's friends and happy and we're going to be good guys. Like they need to make a change. They need to insert talent into the rotation and they need to do it yesterday. Two things, just want to harp on that. You said that, you know, they shot 50%. We all know that, 20 for 40. I mean, you got guys on this team on, the, on last night. I mean, Dinwiddie shooting three for five from three, uh, four for eight for Hardaway. Wood shooting two for two, Green three for three. I mean, that's not something that's going to consistently happen in each of these games. Teams don't regularly shoot 50% from the three. They if had they keep getting open looks, they might. If they do keep getting open looks, but a lot of the looks last night that I saw were, you know, just, just tough shots. Just tough tough shots, but it's like you have to collapse on Luka when he drives to the lane. He can get by three defenders down there in the paint. He's better than anybody in the league at, you know, getting a nifty play off of a layup when faking somebody out. So you have to really hone in on that middle because if you pop it out to three, I mean, you can't really blame the Nets defense. They're collapsing on Luka every time, too. Nick Claxton and Sharp are their two main big men. I mean, you're right. Jared Allen is a good pickup for them. I mean, they're playing small ball. They've accepted it for the, for this season that they're playing small ball. And if Nick, Nick Claxton can deliver and protect the rim, there's something that can, you know, happen defensively. But it doesn't seem like that's, that's the case. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't buy their defense. I think that's the moral of the story here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been that way, as, like you said, Chris, since, since the beginning with them. They're missing something. It's very clearly not offensive talent. They, they have... I've said it the whole time since I've talked about the Nets kind of super team issue. They've had two, and then with those six hours of Harden, three of the best offensive talents to ever pick up a basketball, uh, and, and they couldn't make it work. Why? It's not because they couldn't score. No one's playing defense. No one's doing the little hustle, the, the gritty work. I mean, I mean, you look, you're not going to win a game 99% of the time if you have six guys in double figures, which is what the Mavs had last night, especially mm-hmm. one of those guys, Luka Doncic. Uh, that's That's – a recipe for disaster for them. The fact that they only lost by four is because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving combined for what you said? 76. 76. Yeah. Uh, it's going to happen. They're going to score, but if they give up more points, obviously it's not a it's not a hard equation to follow or equation to solve, whatever word you want to use. They don't play defense and they don't do the dirty work, and that's why they've fallen short these time, time and time again. 
the closest they were was that shot foot on the line with KD. Uh, but even then, I don't think they, I don't think they beat the Suns because the Suns would have done the dirtier, grittier work, just like the Bucks did to win the whole thing. So it's a tough sort of you know solution. There's you could plug in a guy, yes, but what do you give up for that? You know, it, it's hard so early in the season to, I guess, judge them so harshly, but. Not when it's been the Nets and you have these stars, you have these expectations, just like the Lakers, where they failed consistently and, and nothing really seems to be changing. So where do you go from here? A change needs to be made. The question will remain, what is it? Yeah, closing on the Nets, I mean, 1-4 and four is nothing that anybody would have expected. Hopefully they'll get that win against the Pacers Saturday. But, you know, funny story, there was a game stoppage yesterday late in the fourth, a uh, fan threw a water bottle or some type of water drink onto the floor at Luca. Um, I saw him get escorted out by around seven uh, guards. And on the way out, I saw them, um, you know, talking to the guy and, uh, you know, it seemed to be all right. But just just funny because behind the scenes stuff when you're at the game, I mean, fans don't really get to see that. So closing up on the Nets, hopefully we can get that win Saturday, regain some uh, some sense of identity. But let's move on to Manhattan, Madison Square Garden, where things seem to be doing pretty well. I know, Chris, you're a huge fan of the 3-1 and Knicks at the moment, first in the Atlantic Division. What do you see from this team, and do you think that this can possibly continue? Yeah, absolutely. I think, the, well, I know the Knicks had a hot start to last year, too. Um, Julius Randle was averaging 29.9 points per game through the first four games of the season, and everyone thought he was once again the king of New York City, that ended real quick, uh, and the Knicks season took a turn for the worse and did not turn back. Now, this year, the Knicks started out hot again, but what's different is that it feels sustainable. It feels, you know, quote-unquote real, and I'll tell you why. Jalen Brunson getting added to this team and the playmaking that he brings, it's not about how the Knicks haven't had any sort of talent like this before, which, sure, they haven't, it's about the fact that because Tom Thibodeau is so rigid with his rotations, whoever is in that starting point guard slot is going to have a lot of impact on the game. He can use his coach speak however much he likes to talk about how oh, it's not who starts the game, it's who closes, and this, <laughs> you know, this and this and whatever. Like Alfred Payton playing 30 minutes a game that season was objectively oh bad for the New York Knicks. In fact, it was so bad that when it got time to the, to make some money in the playoffs. He benched him for Derrick Rose, who was like half on crutches because that was a better option and he knew it. He got faced with it and knew it. And the thing with Thibodeau is that he'll never make these changes in season. He'll never do any like he uses the offseason to plan his year out and then does it. Yeah. And that's it. The front office had to force him last year to play Jericho Sims over an injured Nerlens Noel at the end of the season. Yep when they were eliminated from the playoffs. He wanted, once eliminated from the playoffs, to have Nerlens Noel half in, half out every game because he thought that was a better option. He trusted him more, his veteran. Mm -hmm. You know, this guy is very rigid, right? You saw last season Julius Randle, when playing with Emmanuel quickly, not look like the Randle that we knew from last year. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you take a look at the Knicks' advanced analytics from last season and look at the two-man pairings, there's one two-man pairing where one of the players is Julius Randle that was a positive net rating, and it was quickly with Randle. Really? Why? Because when Randle has a real point guard on the court with him 
it allows him to get set up in his spots instead of to yeah. set himself up in yeah. his spots. Do you notice the difference when Evan Fournier comes off a pin down and <laughs> shoots the three instead of getting the ball and being told to make a play? Yep. The second time, he dribbles the ball off his knee. The first time, he makes a three because he's an elite shooter. It's about putting guys in optimal situations yep. for them to showcase their talent and actually help your team win. Now, Randall having the ball as much as he did for the New York Knicks recently was not conducive to winning. It was conducive to problems off the court and on the court with the fan base with his teammates, with his coaching staff, most famously assistant Scott King, who got a laptop punched out of his hands by Randall last year. A lot of frustration boiled over this season. Even though Thibodeau uses hockey subs and will never play quickly with Randall, you saw last year what Brunson or any point guard they added would be able to do for them this season. Now, Brunson, not some defensive maestro, but he tries out there. And it's enough, even with Evan Fournier on the wing, for the starters to kind of just tread water when they're out there against other starting units. The Knicks, with one of the better bench units in the league, are able to capitalize on those minutes, guys like Quickly and Toppin. Now, Thibodeau's most trusted options off the bench, growing up a little bit from being the guys he was forced by the front office to throw in for 10 yep. minutes a game. Quickly's actually the first guard off the bench now before Derrick Rose. Yep. And even when Rose comes in, Quickly gets to initiate offense. This is just a sign that these Nick Young players are growing up, helping this team win. The bench unit's been really good. Starting unit's been pretty good. This combines for enough for them to keep games close. Now, last year, it would have been 110-107, 104-103. This year, Knicks playing with a lot more pace. They put up 130 points in their second game of the season, 134 in their fourth. Now, they've also had two games go to overtime, resulting in some higher scores. You'll see this lower as the season goes on. But I just think this Knicks team is actually doing what it was designed to do, which is have the starters come in and tread water produce offensively and and hold the wall defensively have the bench unit come in and take the lead and keep it the starters now with Jalen Brunson you can see that offense in the clutch not crumble like a cookie anymore Randall and Barrett two options right but defenses knew it was going to be one or the other and no one else was capable of creating a thing that way they were able to zero in on those two guys stop the Knicks from scoring completely in final moments of games they looked like a JV team yeah. trying to score in the NBA it was embarrassing because they had no actual reliable creators Jalen Brunson now on the Knicks tied his career high in assists in his like third game or fourth game ever that was easy that was quick he comes over he gives them not only an offensive initiator but a scoring option as well and that versatility is what's allowing this whole Knicks team to click how it has and give them this three and one start. It's yeah, it's it's exciting because you know I've looked at Brunson and I was like, okay, good pickup, but it's not like he's going to be a game changer. But in reality, he is because I, I was listening on the radio and it was it was phenomenal hearing. You know when that was that game went to overtime against Charlotte, you think like you said, Chris, you think okay, here comes Randall with an ISO or here comes. Uh, an RJ tough shot that you don't really want to see in those situations. They lose that game, and 10 they out of lose. 10 times you know, so you have another guy now where it's, it doesn't always have to be in Brunson's hands, but you know it's for, there's a calming sort of presence with him on the court. Where yeah, he's not going to give you 13 assists every time. That was a phenomenal game, but you know there's some sort of safety with him where he's dribbling the ball, Randall can set up, or RJ can work a play to cut towards the rim or get to the whatever it is. They have that now because they have a guy who's a real true court general, floor general, where, yeah, he may get inside and take uh, – that guy's mid-range bag is is phenomenal for his size and the speed he moves is incredible. But when you have him kind of being able to work those angles uh, as a playmaker and as a scorer, it just takes so much pressure off. And I, I really think that was kind of the key signing for them, the reason why they signed him. It's pressure. You take pressure off a young R.J. Barrett who's 
as, as good as I want him to be. He's not as good as I think a lot of us think he is. Uh, Randall, phenomenal player, but streaky and tries too hard and does too many things where he doesn't need to. With Brunson, it works out. I think, you know, as a whole, this team is very talented, and it's part because the young guys are growing up. The role players are, are I guess, the stars, quote-unquote, with Randall and Brunson, know their roles. They're playing those roles to their to their part, to a T. The real question, you know, how long does it last? Can they compete with kind of those top dogs in the East? I guess we'll see tonight when they play Milwaukee. Uh, I was they, gonna say you they've know, got a good test. They've had up. some good games with those tough teams because they play so like they play with just such grit because they play under tips. That's never a problem with them. Cavs after the Bucks, right? You know Atlanta, those those guys to Philly. The teams Boston, yeah. Oh, Timber, oh. Timberwolves in Brooklyn are their next stretch. Of see games. those, and they're all as much as it could be a little biased. They're all winnable games because of how the Knicks play. They won't win them all, obviously, but they're winnable hey, games because the Knicks now have a bit more talent, but they also have played with that same scheme. Where I, I've said it last year too, when they failed to expectations, if they can even get close to how they played in that miraculous run in the, to the playoffs two seasons ago, they should be set just on the fact that they have more talent and and growth now from the young guys. Where, again, they're not going to go in a deep playoff run. That's not what this team is built for, but some sort of excitement. I think the plan should be the bare minimum where they should reach, and I'm sure that's not their goal is the plan. I'm sure their goal is playoffs and go from there, but I think they can do it. I think this team is built for it. I don't want to. I don't think it's even biased. I think they really are built for something this year if Brunson can really kind of take the reins as sort of a, a, a mental leader, floor general, and let Julius then he do has. his thing. He has. He's just got to hold on to him. Exactly. So he's taking him. my question is, we're talking about Jalen Brunson. Obviously, his 42-point performance in Game 1 last year, the first round, was unbelievable. Something that, you know, Knicks fans can look at and sort of be like, hey, he's a good scorer and stuff like that. But over this offseason, the Knicks had the opportunity, I mean, kind of had the opportunity to get Donovan Mitchell. But instead, they got Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell out here, 28.5 points a game, 12th in the league, basically. Um, what do you make of that? Do you think that this was better to get Brunson, or do you think that it would have been better for the Knicks to have Donovan Mitchell? Why do you think that? You look like you're nodding. Why do you think Yeah, that? no, because it's a great question is why I'm nodding. I think, uh, you know, whether they should have traded six picks for Donovan Mitchell or six second-round picks for Jalen Brunson. Right. It's, it's a good question. Um, here's the thing, though. I think with Brunson, the way you got to look at it is a little different. You got to see it as a trade and not a signing because – all of those deals that they sent out to Detroit were on for this year, right? So would you rather the Knicks this season have paid Walker, Burks, and Noel that money or Brunson the same amount of money? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the question. Now, obviously, one of those choices is way better than the others. The price to pick it, six second-round picks that you acquired with little salary cap, you know, amalgations and configurations and whatever other words I can think of that end in Asians that are just like (laughs) these little things the Knicks did to make picks appear out of thin air. So they were ready for this, right? They created this cap space by offloading the veteran contracts they had recently signed, utilizing picks that they had recently acquired. This was all part of the plan. Now, Brunson coming in, getting this deal, it's descending, rare in the NBA, going to be really high value in a couple years this guy already looking like he's worth the deal he got and then you look at the fact that it goes down every year instead of up as usual the plus 8.5 percent uh inflation boost that most deals get that back end loading well brunson's is the other way around and that's really rare in the nba same with mitchell robinson's deal nick's obviously very into these cap things that would be brock aller their you know strategic vice president um but basically 
what Brunson's deal is for them is a placeholder. It's someone who, when that star becomes available in a couple years, they can say, hey, uh, Joel Embiid's available from Philadelphia. Well, take Brunson and take Mitchell Robinson and all the first-round picks we can get, and that'll match the sal- What? Oh, uh, uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is available. Well, they need a point guard back, right? So they could take Brunson, and they could take uh, uh, this guy and a couple picks. And, you know, Devin Booker in Phoenix, Chris Paul getting old, Aiton's situation not great, right? Like There's a lot of stars that are yeah. looking like they might shake loose soon. Brunson doesn't have to be. You're not married to him for all four years just because he has family here. Uh, well, bringing his dad and the staff was always part of the plan. I think this is just the direction the Knicks wanted to go and get someone in the building who could organize them. They wanted CP3 the years before. Donovan Mitchell now um, a little bit more of not the steady hand, but kind of the risk almost, right? He would be that icing on top that could potentially you know, make your dessert the most special out there, but you need to have a foundation before you add Donovan Mitchell to it. If you serve someone icing on a plate, you're not going to get a very high score from the master chef, right? So, like, you need to have the actual cake ready and baked. That thing needs to have, like, all the ingredients ready, prepared, developed. Like, the Knicks were not in that stage, right? They didn't even go to the grocery store yet. Like, they, they got, like, the batter in the bag and R.J. Barrett, and that's about it. Like, they got to go get the rest of their young pieces quickly and top and looking this year like they're going to gain a lot of value. So maybe that, you know, your eggs and milk are ready now, but you still, you got to get everything together. If you want to have a sustainably built contender, the way to do it is to take your time, right? So Donovan Mitchell would have been great for New York from near New York City. I know there's a whole story and the Spider-Man stuff that he likes to do and yada, yada. I didn't think it was the right time for this Knicks team to be making a trade for any star especially not a star who can't play at all on defense. Neither can Brunson. At least he tries. Mitchell yeah. doesn't even try. I mean, eggs, bacon, cake batter, food, whatever you're talking about. We're going to transition over to music now with the Jazz, who are now 4-1, and one, first in their division. Um, you know, they seem to be going pretty strong. Had a fluke loss to the Houston in uh, the first game. But two OT wins over a uh, competitive Pelicans team, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves who are coming into their own and beat Denver pretty uh pretty easily. Handily, uh, yeah. Yeah, handily. So what do you make of this? I mean, Laurie Markkinen leading the team in uh in points, uh, Mike Conley leading the team or the overall game in assist every single time out there. I mean, that's something to be said. I actually heard it was it was funny my my friend just became a Pelicans fan because he loved Zion and all that. It was the past two seasons he's followed them. And what he said to me about the Jazz, his basketball knowledge is very slim, slim to none. But what he said about the Jazz actually made total sense. They are a team with no – like no one thought they were going to be anything. They thought it was a rebuild year. But they're a team filled with just guys who are solid. I was like, what do you mean? And he goes – they just have a bunch of guys who aren't bad players. I go, well, okay, you're kind of right. Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, Laurie Markkinen. Uh, who's the other guy I'm Vander- totally blanking on? Jared Vanderbilt. Jared Vanderbilt stepped into his own. Like, they, they, these guys somehow are not horrible. Everyone thought they'd be horrible, but if you look at it, they have the potential. Mike Conley's always been a solid guard. Jordan Clarkson, always a solid scorer. Laurie Markkinen, in my opinion, didn't really get the time to grow. I think he has the potential to be what people thought Porzingis would be if he'd can kind of keep playing that way he's still young he's still got time he's showing it right now Finland right yeah. <laughs> these guys are these guys are, are better than people than people give them credit for I think and and when you look at I guess how their roster is compiled it's not supposed to be anything again small small sample size of this team what they can do right. who they are but 
I think it's just very exciting. You know, you, you, you didn't think Utah was going to be anyone, and now they are someone. So it's cool to see. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll go off that a little bit. I'll take a, a slightly different route. I think they are a team of something, but what I think they are a team of is guys who have nothing to lose. Yeah. They they have been shipped to Utah. Oh, Colin Sexton. To rot. Right. <laughs> like, Colin Sexton, no one wanted to sign him. Yeah. The Jazz needed to reach the cap floor. They were like, hey, you really want money, and we kind of have to spend money, so play for us, I guess. <laughs> um, no one really wanted to sign Sexton. So Sexton has now been sent to Utah. This is a kid who played for Alabama and for Cleveland in his life, right? He's now going to live in Utah. He's got nothing to lose. Now, I'm not trying to say here that Utah is some awful place. I'm just saying that for the NBA standards, for the NBA lifestyle, a life that many of us do not have the opportunity to fortunately live, well, they like to, you know, take their wealth and and maybe manifest it into a little Los Angeles apartment or a little New York City action maybe up in the Windy City. Utah, city of Salt Lake, not necessarily high up on the the list of vacation spots, right? Mm. So these guys on the Jazz that have kind of just been shipped there as punishment, right? Sexton, no one really wanted to sign him. Boom, Utah Jazz. Laurie Markkinen gets his extension from Cleveland. They draft Evan Mobley. They have two bigs. Hey, this guy's expendable. I'll see ya. So these guys are kind of just all getting dumped to Utah. And I, I think this kind of beautiful thing is going on where they're realizing this is actually how Tom Thibodeau unites a lot of his locker rooms. The, the we hear Knicks season, this is how he got those guys on the yeah. same side was, well, if one of you plays well, you'll get paid a lot of money and you'll get on a lot of highlight clips and you're going to you're gonna be really big. But if we all play well and if we all buy in and we all play defense and the team is winning games you're all gonna get paid and if it's not by this team it'll be by somewhere else and i I think that's what's going on in utah they hired will hardy someone from the popovich coaching tree you know those guys don't like to mess around too much they're kind of straight to the point and uh hardy was actually someone the knicks looked at a couple years back before they hired thibodeau so i've looked into him a whole bunch He, he seems like someone who really should get like a young roster like this Take a look at Laurie Markkinen, who Nick brought up. He, over the summer in Finland, my father's home country, so I was watching. I wasn't just, like, locked into European (laughs) (laughs) Finnish basketball for no reason. I'm not that bored. Um, But basically, Laurie Markkinen was afforded the ability offensively to playmake and to to be a ball handler. It's almost like what you saw the Knicks do with Julius Randle his first season here, but it went really poorly for him because he wasn't afforded room to fail. He just kind of, like went out and did stuff and Laurie Markkinen is like allowed to mess up and like they help him learn from it instead of being like just do it again until it works um so yeah Markkinen is now showing that for Utah it's really rare here on pick and pod that we devote actual time to talking about the Utah Jazz but I'm actually I'm legitimately happy to do it today because this team is a is a really fun story um they're gonna flame out they're not winning more than 30 games this season at (laughs) absolute most they're not a good team are they a fun one? Absolutely. I think Kelly Olynyk is a really solid player. He was really good on the Pistons. Uh, he's not exactly flashy. He's not the sexiest name. Mike Conley, washed up, not really the jersey seller, right? Malik Beasley, lots of off-court troubles. Again, not a jersey seller. These guys have gotten... Nikhil Alexander-Walker, first-round pick. Uh, boom, shipped to Utah. See ya. Taylor Horton Tucker, well, one of the most players with the most potential. In the li- boom, shipped to Utah. These guys have nothing to lose, and they are fighting their tails off to put together a watchable, tough product every night, and it's working. Like I'm, 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 I've got nothing but props for this Utah team. I do think, though, that um, 
we we might be uh let's just say not hearing too much from them after this segment this season that's fair enough i mean number one in the western conference right now you don't really see that too much but i mean what other teams in the western conference do you think are going to emerge because you got the warriors who are three and two right now mavericks are two and two you got the pelicans three and one suns three and one Grizzlies 4-1, obviously. What team do you think is going to come out of there, and what surprises do you think are in store for the Western Conference? I mean, it's hard not to say Golden State again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no wrong answer at this time, I guess. Like, even the Jazz are technically not a wrong answer sitting atop of the West, but in realistic terms, I think you have to look Warriors. I think you have to look at the Suns. Uh, you know, I want to say maybe some sleepers. If I, We were talking about this the other night. My roommates and I, if Jamal Murray can – get to 75% of what he was in the bubble. You could see the Nuggets making a run. That team is pretty solid. I don't think the Timberwolves are there yet. Uh, Dallas, I'd love to see get there. Just depends on if the guys around Luka can really play. Uh, But then also the Clippers. You expect the Clippers to be around and be dangerous in the playoffs. Yeah, I was going to say the Clippers right away. They're at the Mm -hmm. 12th seed right now. I think they probably finish five or six. So, that that, you know, someone's going to get bumped out from the top there. Um, another team I think will take a little bit of a downturn would be Portland. I know it's only five games in, so they're the second seed in the West right now, but I, I you know, maybe they fall down to six or seven too, somewhere in that range. I like teams like New Orleans and Minnesota to uh, kind of pop out later in the season as being atop the conference. Denver was my prediction for who would win um, the, the regular season for the conference, you know, who would be wow. the number one seed. But I, I don't like them that much anymore. Michael Porter Jr. doesn't look like he's no. going to be healthy. And Murray, um, I love him. But, mm-hmm. eh. So, yeah, yeah that's where that's well, about where I'm at with them. I, I, I think Golden State, obviously the incumbent. Got to go with them. Got to give them a shout. But uh, Minnesota and Dallas and New Orleans are the three teams I've got my eyes on. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with uh, Nick's point that the Warriors are going to come into their own. I mean, coming off that championship, they're arguably the best team in the West right now. Um, Shifting over to the East, uh, going around the globe, we're going to wrap this Pick and Pod episode up with who we think might come out of the East and some shockers and, you know, just overall talk. What do you got? Uh, You know, I think, in my opinion, I I, I really just – I think it's so strongly. I said this about the Nets a couple of years back, and it was the worst take I've had on the show, saying they were going to win it all. Back in, I think it was that I, COVID. I wish I was year. on that episode. We would have gotten. Oh, into I, it. I, I was haunted I by that for a year. I would have bet you money live on the show. <laughs> I would. I read like a lunch at Enzo's. Right. I would. I really. I would have really done it up. I see. I probably would have. I probably would have said no because then you would have been making me second guess, right? But so, I stand by the same type of opinion I had. With the Milwaukee Bucks, I think the Bucks are are the clear cut guys in the East. I don't think when they are fully healthy, anyone can really compete with them. Giannis is the best player in the world. When Chris Middleton's there, he's a guy who you go to for a tough bucket crunch time. That's what they were kind of missing in the playoffs last year. And Drew Holiday is arguably, honestly, you could I think he is the best two way guard in the league. He he does it all really for the Bucks. Um, so, but that that to me is a big three, and they're deep enough. They've had the same core for years. The Celtics, you have to throw in the mix. Obviously, they got there last year. They look even better, kind of, this year than they did last year. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum could be even deadlier of a duo this year. I think they're the best duo in the league. Uh, Sixers could come into their own, but I I never really buy into them. I think Doc Rivers is done. I don't think he's getting anything. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think it's those three. Miami doesn't seem like they're it really anymore. I don't know. 
but I, I want to say it's either the Bucks or the Celtics that, that get there for sure. Yeah, fair enough. Love Milwaukee's shout there. Um, that's who I picked to make the finals from the East before this season. I'm sticking with it. Nothing in these first four or five games has shown me anything that would make me want to change that opinion. Um, th- they look like Milwaukee. And they don't even have Chris Middleton. So, you know, you know, he's really important to what they do there. He's really, really good. Uh, Brooklyn fans will not be happy, but he just straight up outplayed Kevin Durant head-to-head and sent the Bucks to the next round of the playoffs that series. So, hey, man, the guy can play. And uh, even though his name isn't, you know, Drew Holiday doesn't sell a lot of jerseys, Chris Middleton doesn't sell a lot of jerseys, the Bucks made a bet when they unloaded all those assets for Holiday that Giannis would turn into what he has and that they would have these perfect compliments. He's done exactly that. I don't think he likes very much how the playoffs went last year. Uh, I think he's good enough to where we can say he's going to come with a vengeance yeah, this he's season. Mad. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I've got the Bucks coming out of the East, but but other teams I like, man. I, I know I gave the Wizards a shout before the year as a team that would be competitive this year, um, but they look way better than I thought to start the year. Maybe they're hot, maybe they're not. We'll we'll figure it out as we get more of a sample size in. Uh, the team I predicted that would lose the Eastern Conference Finals to the Milwaukee Bucks was the Toronto Raptors. A little bit of a different. Look out there. I was like, hey, maybe the Bucks take down Philly and Boston on their way to the finals, and Toronto squeezes out getting past Miami and Cleveland, and they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, I still like Toronto to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I still like that pick. Pascal Siakam is so, so good. Really, really good. Fred Van Vliet is really good. Now, the guy who everyone loves over there is Scotty Barnes. I'm not as big of a fan of him as other people are. A lot of him are like, oh, that's baby Giannis right there and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, maybe we could you know, relax a tad. Don't say that, um, yeah. But Barnes is a really good like fourth banana for what they've got going on there behind OG and Obi. Uh, I-, I like what they've got going on in Toronto, man. I I think Nick Nurse is a bit of a psychopath for running an eight man rotation five games into the year. But <laughs> l- listen, sometimes he goes nine and lets Delano Banton come in the game. So l- I like the Toronto team. I like the depth they have. Malachi Flynn not even touching the floor for them. Um, he played him for 38 minutes last year when it was time to. So you know Nurse trusts his guys. He just likes to keep the rotation tight. I would probably not like playing for him. So that that doesn't matter, though, because I'm no NBA player. I love this Toronto team. Um, teams that are kind of at the top of the East right now, I think that will fall off, are Atlanta and Washington. They're not going to finish in those seeds. But Trey and DeJounte looking really good to start, um, better than I thought they would as, as a duo, for sure. Just give a couple other Eastern Conference shout-outs. But, yeah, no, the teams I really like, um, I guess, number one, Milwaukee, number two, Toronto, number three. I don't know, number two, Boston, number three, Toronto, number four, Philly. And you could put Cleveland over Philly if you want to, but they need a wing score. They got to do something at the trade deadline. Okoro's not cutting it. Lovert's not good, so... That's the guy the Nets shouldn't miss is him. That's that's who they don't need. Who they need back? <laughs> who they need back is Allen. Who the Nets shouldn't miss is Karius Levert. But yeah, I think we got a fun Eastern Conference this year, um, especially with the Knicks being not a free win on the schedule. Right. So yeah, I, I, it should be a fun season. Yeah, Eastern Conference looks pretty open. I mean, Bucks obviously leading it right now, three zero. It's hard to say that they're not going to get back to it, but. You know, I think that'll just about do it for Pick and Pod. Uh, this was a really good episode. Uh, Chris Persianen and Nick Feta, thank you guys so much for joining me. Um, Bobby Chaffordini is our sports director here at WFUV, and I am signing off on our episode of Pick and Pod. Thanks, everyone, for listening.